0: Courageous, as, as as Maddie showed us this morning, to be courageous, and and do what what you lead us to do, Lord. Oh Lord, thank you, thank you. Help us to to capture that power, to to use the the power and, and claim the victory that that you've given us, Lord. Already, just because we are in you, and you are in us. Oh Lord, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you today. I want to share some things about our church before we look at uh, God's Word together this morning. Um, we are still renovating our stage. If you're a guest with us, it doesn't always look like this, and we're getting there. And uh, still waiting for some materials to come in the next week or so, so we can finish up. But uh, So it's a work in progress, but we're, we're grateful to have some new sound system and new things going here. I want to share with you that next Sunday, I've committed to sing a solo. Now, I've never sung a solo before in my life. Uh, And cannot sing, but I believe in connection groups. I believe in Sunday school. And I made a promise two or three years ago that if we ever had 700 in connection groups, I'd sing a solo. And so, the first Sunday of the month, we did. And so, I'm a man of my word. And unless Jesus comes back this week, which I'm really ramping up my prayers that that might happen (laughs) this week. Uh, unless he comes back this week, I, and Lord willing, I will—I'll uh, do that next next uh, Sunday. So I hope that doesn't hurt attendance next Sunday. But I hope you'll come just for the spectacle of it anyway. And and be here and a part of that, but my point is, well, I really believe in connection groups and we're starting a new year there, and, and if you're just coming to worship, I encourage you to take the next step at 945, go to the Welcome Center, and get connected with a group of people in your either life situation or age group that you can live life with and follow Christ with, study the Bible with, fellowship, so I really encourage you uh, to take that next step and to do that. Um, I want to say a a word of prayer before we look at God's Word and pray for some things on my heart. Would you just uh, allow me to do that and please join me as we pray. Oh, Father, uh, as I share today this sermon about the enemy, I I pray uh, for people who may be just uh, ensnared by the enemy who are here. And I pray for every one of us that, Lord, we'll find victory through Jesus Christ who's greater than any forces of evil. And so I just pray your spirit would use this time today. Lord, I pray also for this showing of this movie tonight. Lord, what a powerful statement. And I just pray that that maybe you'll use that in a way to bring someone to you or to have courage for you. Lord, I want to pray for the people of Louisiana uh, who have been displaced by flooding, flooding, Father, I want to pray for the 40,000 or more people whose homes have been destroyed, for 60 Southern Baptist churches that were flooded and they're not able to meet in their buildings this morning to worship, along with I don't know how many of many other denominations. So we pray for those congregations. We pray for Southern Baptist and other Disaster relief workers, including, I pray by name, for Cookie Baker, former member of our church, being deployed today as a disaster relief chaplain in in Louisiana. And many others coming from across Tennessee are on their way. I pray for their traveling safety now. And I pray that the name of Jesus will be lifted up among the floodwaters of Louisiana and that people will realize that of all that we have in life, nothing matters but Jesus. Nothing matters but Jesus. And that all of our treasure would be put in Him. Father, I want to pray. There are many people I know who are hurting, but I want to pray by name for Bob and Diane Warren, who are former members of our church, now living in Kentucky. Their son Timothy grew up in in our church, and uh, he died this week, and his funeral is today, and no parent should have to bury a child. And so I pray for Bob and Diane, and for others, maybe in this place like them, who are hurting and need your help, to know that that there is life after death, and that Jesus is greater than every enemy, including death. So I pray for them, that you'd give them grace in that terrible time in their lives. Oh Lord, we come to worship you, and we come to put our trust in you, and our hope in you, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'm sharing a series of sermons on Sunday morning this month, entitled, Tactics of the Enemy, The Enemy is the Devil, And uh, we don't want to fear the devil, we fear only God, but we want to be aware of the devil and understand his tactics and his techniques of, of temptation. And so the first two weeks of this month, we looked at tactics that relate primarily to the mind. Satan's working in the arena of our minds. We saw the first week that he wants to blind you in your thinking to the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ. God's given an offer of pardon to any person in the world who will receive it by repentance and faith. What a great offer it is. But Satan's working to conceal that, to hide that, to blur that, to, conf- to uh Conceal the wonder of the gospel of Jesus. Then we saw the second week he's working in the arena of the mind to confuse you. He really wants to confuse you about spiritual things, so he plants false disciples in the world, hypocrites. He plants false teachers in the church. He puts on the internet false interpretations of the Bible to get you all confused as he's working to deceive and confuse. But now today, we want to move to a second arena in which he works, not so much the mind, although that will come into play, but in the area of your emotions, your passions, your appetites, your desires. And what Satan does, we're going to see, is take good God-given desires and he tries to move us out of control in the areas of desires to go beyond God's will and thereby to destroy us by runaway passions and desires. I remember when I was a kid and I saw the first dessert buffet I'd ever seen. Now, I probably grew up not knowing a lot of stuff like you did, but I remember a time in my life when we had dessert at home and you'd get a piece of pie or a piece of cake and then I went somewhere and you could eat all of the dessert of any kind that you wanted. And so that's what I did. <laughs> I ate everything as a kid. And uh, that was a, that's a good appetite that God put in me. God put an appetite in me so that I would live and grow as a kid, right? Right? But you know what Satan does? He f- puts charcoal on the fire. Uh, he puts the lighter fluid on the charcoal fire. And he, ex- he expands those desires beyond God's desire. So what I did, I ate everything. And oh, I was sick as a dog because of that. That's sort of like what Satan wants to do in our lives. He takes good God-given desires, accelerates them beyond what God's purpose is, and he destroys us by them. Let's look at that in the Word of God, our key passage of Scripture today. We're going to come back to it several times. We'll look at it here at the beginning. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, there's where we get this title for the devil, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So, There's the depiction of the devil as your enemy, and he's compared here to a hungry lion. He's a predator who's stalking you. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to devour you. And so, one way that he is seeking to devour you is to get your life out of control. Because when you lose self-control, then you'll move toward destruction. Now we're going to come back to this passage uh, and talk about what we can do about that, but first let's get a couple of examples. I'm going to share with you just two examples from Scripture. It applies in other areas. We're going to share with you two examples of where the Bible talks about this, of where the devil wants to get you out of control. First of all, uh, he provokes you to lose control of your temper in the area of anger. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 26 and 27, it says, in your anger, do not sin. So you see, anger is not always sinful. God put anger in you. That's a good desire. That's a good passion. It causes you to stand up for justice. Somebody's being hurt. You know, you see a kid that's being hurt, and you get angry at that, and you you react against that. That's a good defense mechanism, right? So. In your anger, do not sin, because anger that becomes selfish or goes too far becomes sin. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So you see here what he's saying? That the devil is looking for a gap, that's what the word means, or a space, a room, in your life and if you let your anger get out of control if for example in this passage you let your anger go on and on and you don't deal with your anger then that continued anger don't let the sun go down on your anger gives the devil a foothold in your life gives him room in your life to destroy you now I can identify with this Oh, that, boy, I, I struggle with this because, you know, I, I get to, I, I want everything to work well. You know, I want lawnmowers to work. I want computers to work. I just want everything to work the way it's supposed to work. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I can identify with the guy in uh, the Tennessean reported about on the Saturn Parkway in Spring Hill that his car quit. He had to coast it over to the road on the side of Saturn Parkway, got an automatic rifle. Emptied a 30 clip into the radiator, took that clip out, put another 30 clip in, emptied it into the radiator, took that out, put another 30 clip in, emptied it out into the radiator, and was sitting there waiting when the police got there. Uh, I can sort of identify with that, you know? So, but what happens when you do that, when you let your anger get out of control, when it goes too long? when you become a fit of rage or explosive with your kids or with your spouse, or you let that anger go on so long that it festers and becomes bitter, don't let the sun go down in your anger, is that the devil then has a gap in your life. You're out of control. And when you're out of control, he's able to accelerate that and to destroy you. And that's his goal. He's, he's like a roaring lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour or destroy. And he'll destroy your relationships. If you're living with that kind of anger in your marriage, you're going to have to do something about that because you're giving the devil a foothold in your relationship. It'll destroy you physically. Let, let me read to you from Gary Smalley's book, Love is a Decision, about how he talks about how anger eats away at a person's health. He says, Several of the symptoms of a person with deep-seated anger locked inside them. Early morning awakening, depression, tension, grinding teeth, unexplainable sense of dread, jumpiness, increased irritability. None of these negative outworkings of anger is physically helpful. In fact, unresolved anger actually pulls a person's resistance to illness down. When a person's body is constantly tense and on edge for unrighteous anger never fully lets a person relax even in his sleep. This tension will inevitably begin to wear the person down. That's what really undesirable things begin to happen physiologically, such as clinical depression, colitis, bleeding ulcers, anxiety attacks, lowered resistance to colds and flu, heart and respiratory failures. Several researchers even believe that some types of cancer result from megadoses of stress that unhealthy anger carries with it. Do you see how the devil would use that as a fo- he wants to destroy you physically he wants to destroy your relationships he wants to destroy your peace of mind and your well-being he's a destroyer and so he's going to take that good god-given emotion which you have channeled in the wrong way or you've not dealt with and he's going to fuel it to destroy you let me share with you a second example. We're going to take There are others, but we're going to look at two examples from Scripture of how the devil's trying to do this. And that is, second is in the area of sexual desire. The devil will provoke you to lose control of sexual desire. Once again, that sex drive is a good thing that God has given you for a good purpose in your life. And within the bounds of marriage that God has designed it for, it's a beautiful thing, but when it gets out of control of what God didn't design it for, then the devil uses that to destroy you. I want to read to you some verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. I need to tell you a little bit about the setting because it's different from us here. Apparently at Corinth, when these people were coming out of non-Christian backgrounds and were coming to Christ, there were some that were teaching that when you come to Christ that you shouldn't get married. Sort of a monastic kind of movement, you know, a celibate kind of movement that maybe... that love for Christ was higher than any sexual desires, and so you shouldn't become a Christian. And uh, if you became a Christian, you, sh- you should remain celibate. And they were saying, if you were already married and you became Christian, then you should not live together anymore as husband and wife. You should, should lead a celibate life. Now, Paul counteracts that teaching, and what we're wanting to listen to is why he says that. I'm picking up in the middle of the conversation. You can read the whole thing. 1 Corinthians 7, 4, and 5. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband... In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except, and here's his exception that he's allowing for them since they're wanting to go in this direction. Don't deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time and so that you may devote yourselves to prayer that's the conditions, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now there's the principle that we're after. The situation for us is somewhat different but you get the same principle that Satan is looking in the area of your desires to tempt you because of your lack of self-control and Paul is concerned that if they're going to follow this celibate kind of teaching in marriage too far that it will drive them apart and they'll be tempted to lack of self-control and paul doesn't want the devil again to get a foothold in their lives and so he says that's the reason for this teaching so you get the principle for us here that the devil is taking that good desire in your life but he's going to try to express it beyond the bounds of what god wants and and get you out of control so the devil's really trying to divide you in your marriage do you see that And and maybe God's speaking to some of you about your marriage. And, and, uh, you know, things have not been going the greatest in your marriage. And, And your new wife or you and your husband have just been sort of bickering a little bit. But boy, there's somebody at work that just seems to affirm you all the time and compliment you, and and you can talk to more easily than you can your own spouse. And you just wish your spouse was like that person at work, and, and there's a growing attraction there. And do you see what the devil is doing? He is fanning the, the flames of that, because he wants to divide you and your marriage. God's for your marriage. God wants your marriage to succeed. He wants it to flourish. He wants it to grow And the devil's against your marriage. And he wants to destroy it. And he wants to destroy your peace of mind. And so he's going to fan into flame those things that would take you out of self-control. It applies, of course, to you if you're not married. And God wants you to save yourself from marriage. And the world has given you a totally different philosophy. And the devil is just fueling all that you hear from your friends and from culture and everyone else. And he's fueling that because he wants to destroy you. And God wants to bless you. And so he's trying to move you out of control so that he can bring about your destruction. Do you see that? Do you see the strategy of the devil maybe in your life? And you're just buying into that and you're going along with it. Now, what can you do? We've talked about anger. We've talked about uh, lust. We could apply it to a lot of other things. but But when the devil takes your passions and tries to get you out of control so he can destroy you, what can you do? Let me show, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, and let's look at three counter-strategies that uh, we can follow to thwart the effort of the enemy. First of all, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he says, Be alert. So the first counter-strategy is to be alert. Now, it's interesting that Peter would write this. Because this is the same word, be alert, translated different, as Jesus spoke to Peter and the other disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane the night that he went there to pray before his death. And he said, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. The word be alert is the same Greek word as the word watch, just translated differently here. So this word means to be alert, to be awake. To watch, and he came back to them, and they were asleep. And Jesus said, Could you not be alert or watch one hour? The spirit is willing, but the body, where your passions are, is weak. And the devil is using that. So the first counter-strategy is to be spiritually alert, to wake up. Some of us are sleepwalking spiritually in our lives, and we're just going right along in a relationship that's going to get us off base. And we're not, we're not aware. We're not alert. And so you got to spiritually just wake up and, and, and see what, what's going on in your life. So that moral alertness that you don't get overconfident. Peter was overconfident that night. He said, Oh Lord, I'll never deny you. He didn't feel that need to pray and to watch and to be alert because he said, I'm good. And some of you may be thinking, oh, I'm, I, I'm good. I, I got my anger. I got my addiction. I got my pornography. I got my whatever under control. I, yeah, I'm, I, I'm okay. And you're in denial and you're not alert. Because you think you got it and you're not aware of that roaring line. So the first thing is to wake up. See the danger. Second strategy is to be sober-minded. You see the second word in verse 8? Be alert and be of sober mind. So the second counter strategy is to be sober-minded. That just means to be clear-headed. And it first of all applies to Drugs and alcohol. A Christian is going to need to be sober-minded because we're in a spiritual battle. And so one strategy of Satan is going to get you where you're not sober-minded so that the devil can take you beyond that. I watched last night on television part of Matt Lauer's interview with Ryan Lochte. You know the story of Ryan Lochte probably, Olympic swimmer. Uh, who, uh, after the swimming was over, uh, went out on the town with, with three others, had too much to drink, and he said last night in his interview, I hadn't had anything to drink for months while, we'd been pl- while we had been training, and we, I had too much to drink, and I got out of control. And the devil ensnared him in this, mess and these lies and all of this stuff. And now he's having to go on national television and apologize and take responsibility. And and that's commendable. But, oh, it would have been better, wouldn't it, for everybody involved if he hadn't gotten in that place in the first place. And why? Because he was not sober-minded. They went and broke down a door into a bathroom. He said, you know, I wouldn't have done that if I'd been clear-headed. Well, the Christian, the stakes are high. you got to be clear-headed. And Alcohol abuse is one of the devil's tools and other kinds of drug abuse is one of the devil's tools to keep you from being of sober mind so that he can get your passions to run away with you. 50% of all domestic abuse calls to police, there's alcohol involved. 86% of all homicides. Think about how few murders there would be. 86% of all homicides, the person Committing the crime is drunk or high on something. 86%. 10,000 people died on the highways last year at the hands of a drunk driver. So the devil successfully destroyed, sent into eternity, some into a lost eternity, 10,000 people because we don't follow that advice that God gave us in his word to be of God sober mind he wants to destroy careers and lives and maybe he's doing it in your life Perry Noble you may not know the name was pastor of one of the largest churches in the country 24,000 people on a weekend attendance at several locations across cities in South Carolina New Spring Church leading church and about a month ago his church fired him because of alcohol abuse. Pastors had met with him over the past several months and had tried to, to help him with his behavior and it, it just accelerated and it was affecting his marriage apparently in other areas. And and so finally he was fired. What an influential pastor, one of the largest churches in America. He'd built that from nothing But at least for now, his ministry was destroyed successfully by a roaring lion who is prowling around, seeking who he may devour. And if you are not alert and of a sober mind, he can devour you. Would you see the danger there? All right, the third strategy is in verse 9. The third, third strategy is resist him standing firm in the faith. So, the third thing to do, be alert, be of sober mind, and resist him. Say no to him. Do you remember that scene from War Room, another movie we saw, showed about prayer, where the, the lady, a character, she stands in her home, and she finally she talks to the devil and said, you are not getting my marriage, you're not taking my home, you're not taking my peace, you're not taking my joy. That's resisting the devil. And you need to come to a point where you will say, no, this is not who I'm going to be. You're not going to do this in my life. I'm not going to be a slave to this. I resist you. Let me show you another verse about that. James chapter 4, verse 7. James 4, 7 says, submit then to God and resist the devil. Don't we get those backwards? We resist what God's trying to do and we submit freely to the devil. So if you'll reverse those and submit to God but resist the devil, the promise is, and he will flee from you. That's a great promise. You resist him and he'll flee. You see, the devil is strategic. He's going to look for weak targets. He's not going to assault strongly fortified positions. And so when you resist, he's going to back off. Never going to go away completely but he's going to back off because he's going to, he, he wants an easy target. So resist him. And when you get through that initial is it resistance, yeah, it's going to be hard at first. You've gotten your passions running away. anger's the way you deal with everything. The lust has run away in your life, whatever it may be. It's going to be hard at first. It's resistance that's hard. But if you will resist, he will flee. And you can break through after, with that resistance. Now, be alert, be sober, and resist him. But the good news of Christianity is you don't have to do that by yourself. The message of Christianity is not just you try harder, you do better. The message of Christianity is as you do this, there is one who will give you power greater than your own. So I want to tell you two stories, two Bible verses. First of all, Jesus can deliver you from the destruction of runaway passions. You may be right now and you're already in a mess. You're in a mess with drugs, you're in a mess with with uh, lust, you're in a mess with your anger. The good news is it's not too late. Jesus can deliver you from runaway passions. First John chapter 4 verse 4 says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So if you receive Jesus into your heart, you'll have a strength in your life greater than the one in the world, that's the devil, and you can overcome because greater is the one who's in you. So if you, today you're struggling with those passions, why don't you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Why don't you repent of your sin? Why don't you come to him and receive some resources greater than your own? And if you are a Christian, why don't you call upon him and his help? So I want to tell you a story. There are a lot of stories I could tell, but because there are a lot of people who have experienced this deliverance of Jesus Christ, but I'll tell you a story—one of the most remarkable—comes from the last century. A man named Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter was an alcoholic. His dad had a bar. He grew up in a bar. He became an alcoholic early in life. He he was—he got sober long enough to get married. And then to have a, a son, but he would keep going on these drinking binges. He came back from a drinking binge for a few days one time, and his wife was there. His son had died, and he was not there. And he was broken about that, and he went to the funeral, left the funeral, and went to a saloon and got drunk. And then he left home, determined to end his life in anonymity, uh, and so he took a train to Chicago on January 19th, 1897. In a blizzard in Chicago, he sold his, or traded his coat and his shoes for one last drink. And in a Chicago blizzard, walked barefoot in the snow, trying to get to Lake Michigan so he was going to drown himself. Nearly froze to death and couldn't get there, and somebody pulled him in a warm building, and it happened to be Pacific Grove Mission. And that night he heard the, the good news of Jesus Christ and even though he was still half drunk, he put his faith in Jesus Christ, and he began to change. And Mel Trotter went on to found a rescue mission in Grand Rapids and was led it for 45 years. And graduates from there founded over 60 other rescue missions around the world. He became a pastor, a preacher. And here was his message. Here's how Mel Trotter sums up his life message. God loves you in the midst of the deepest failure and despair, and his love has the power to change even the most ruined life. Let me say it again. God loves you in the midst of the deepest failure and despair, and his love has the power to change even the most ruined life. If you'll come to Jesus Christ, he can change you. But now I want to tell you a second story. Following Christ is both an instant conversion and a process of sanctification or growth. So the second thing I want to tell you is this. The Holy Spirit can help you grow into a person of self-control. Jesus delivers you, but your problems aren't going to go away. But the Holy Spirit within you can help you grow into a person of self-control. So I want to tell you a second story. Not as dramatic as the one from Mel Trotter, but it's from my personal experience. And I'm going to change the details a little bit because it's about my family and some of them are still alive and so I'm going to change just a few details here. I have a relative who is known in her church as one of the most godly women in the world. She's, You know, every church has those women you just look up to as just saints who just have such wisdom and uh, grace about them and compassion for people. and you, You know what I'm talking about? There's somebody like that. I've got a relative like that in her church. That's the way she is. But I knew her 50 years ago when I was a little kid. When I was five years old, she and her husband got into an argument. They were angry at a family gathering. They would have been in their early 30s. They were both Christians. They both had Jesus in their heart. That doesn't mean you don't have problems. You don't struggle with these desires. And so they got into a fight at a family gathering, and she had baked a chocolate cake. And she got mad at her husband, and she slammed her open palm down into the top of that chocolate cake and said a word that I had never heard yet at that point in my life. <laughs> and chocolate cake went everywhere. And it was sort of an awkward moment there, as you, <laughs> as you might can imagine. Now, I tell you that story not to any way put her down. But here's what I want you to see The difference, now you may just say, well, she got older and mellowed. Now, I know old people who are angry. I know old people who are lustful. I know old people who are alcoholic. I'll tell you what happened to that young Christian wife and mother. That through the years, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit grew her into a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I share that with you to say that can happen to you. You're struggling in your marriage right now. You're struggling with anger. You're struggling with addictions. You don't have to stay that way. Yeah, you're a, you're a Christian, but you're still struggling with those things. I understand. But it, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, you can move the snapshot of your life for, that it moved in her life. You don't have to stay that way any, all the time. Let me read to you Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh in verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You don't have to work it up entirely. The Holy Spirit produces within you as you keep in step with Him self-control. That's the good news of the Christian message is that Jesus can deliver you from any runaway passions in your life. And the Holy Spirit then will make the process in your life as you are alert and sober-minded and resist the devil, moving you to a place of wisdom, self-control. Let's pray about those things. Would you join me right now? Oh Lord, I want to pray for some who may be struggling with their passions now and they're losing. Now I want to pray, Lord, that you will help them today to cast themselves on Jesus and to be saved and to be delivered. And I pray right now for anybody who's struggling in their marriage and their anger and any of these other areas. I, I just pray that they'll, they'll just cry out to you right now. Lord, there's some of us in these situations, we're already Christians. We've been saved, but the need now is for our growth. It's going to take time. It's going to be a process. Oh, Lord, may your Holy Spirit have his way in my life that I may not be tomorrow the person that I was yesterday, that I might bring the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand together with me? As we stand, if you want to come to Jesus and receive his deliverance, I'm going to ask you to walk forward and meet me or a pastor here. Make that formal. Nail that down in your life. I'm a follower of Jesus. You can be baptized like Maddie was at our next baptism. Maybe you need to come and somebody pray with you or recommit your life to Christ. We welcome you to come. If you need a church home, we'd welcome you into this church family as we sing together.